Today's episode is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. The Master of Arts Strategic Leadership Concentration at Ozark is for those who are called to lead in a variety of Christian contexts, from churches to nonprofits to parachurch organizations. The Strategic Leadership Concentration partners with you to dive into God's Word to lead God's people across generations, across cultures, and into God's future. So what's next? Learn more and apply for free at occ.edu masters. Hello, everybody. This is your favorite discipleship podcast called the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is your host, Dave Stovall. Thanks so much for joining me today. We've been working our way through all the track sessions from last year's National Disciple Making Forum. Today's episode features Global Discipleship Initiative's first track session from last year. The primary speakers you'll hear from today are Greg Ogden and Ralph Rittenhouse, both partners that launched GDI. And they talk to us about the steps towards making a disciple-making, reproducing church. I really appreciated their stories and their simplification of how this stuff works. And they talk through everything from microgroups all the way to canceling Christmas. That's right. You heard that right. Listen to the whole episode to figure out what exactly that means. All right, let's jump in. Let's hear from Greg and Ralph and others from the Global Discipleship Initiative team. Here we go. Well, good afternoon. We might as well get rolling here. Uh, you came to the right place, and what was said in that last session, you're going to find out, rolls right into this this session in terms of what we're trying to accomplish, especially with these smaller discipleship groups. And uh, let me just start off by saying welcome on behalf of our ministry, Global Discipleship Initiative. You can see some of the info uh, on the screen about that. It will remind you uh, at the end. But come on in, and if you can come over to this side, that'd be great, where, the, where there's already some papers. And uh, just quick introductions for myself and uh, Ralph. Um, my name's Greg Ogden. I'm here with my wife, Lily, who's nowhere to be found. Uh, <laughs> where did she go? Um, must have gone back home to California. Um, but uh, so just delighted to be a part of this uh, time. Um, pastored for some 38 years, retired in 2012, moved to Monterey, California, and, uh, you know, God doesn't have to do a whole lot of improvement work on the environment. So even when the kingdom of God comes in, it may seem a little bit similar. I'm not sure in terms of what uh, what that's all about, but enjoyed that. Uh, a few years back, we started Global Discipleship Initiative, partnered with Ralph here to, to do that. And uh, Ralph just come up and say hello as I'm showing my grandkids on the screen here. Uh, yeah, no, ooh and ah. Okay, I want to hear it. Okay, there we go. And uh, so, who are you, Ralph? Ralph Rittenhouse. I was pastor in Southern California for 32 years. I was on Campus Crusade staff for 14 years prior to that, and then knew a lot about evangelism, and we did a lot of evangelism in Southern California, our church, and we saw the church grow. Um, but then we just realized we had a giant nursery filled with baby Christians, and we needed to do something more, and that's when we discovered uh, Discipleship Essentials that Greg had written, and we implemented it, and it was amazing what happened. Um, I have a wife, uh, Jackie, that's my first wife and only wife. <laughs> I have two children, six grandchildren, uh, and love what we're doing now. I retired uh, five years, five and a half years ago uh, from Southern California, live up in Washington State now. I'm in a church up there and having a great time doing discipleship there. And uh, we go all over the place teaching people how to do discipleship and having a great time with it. You'll hear a lot more from Ralph uh, during this session and how the whole story unfolded at the Camarillo Community Church, along with Bev and Jim, who you'll hear from. But let me just give you a quick overview of our sessions uh, so you see how we try to put this together. In fact, one session builds upon another, so if you take your pieces of paper that you have in front of you, you will see an image there on the top of that page that you should see similar to the one you see on the screen. And uh, we've tried to reduce our understanding of how to make a reproducing disciple-making church into a fairly simple teaching tool. And so that's what you have before you today. 
uh, we'll look at uh, what, what's the end look like in mind? What's, what's a disciple-making church look like, and how did the one church get to that place of seeing a church that was transformed? And then the three other elements you see on the screen here with the car, the driver, and the GPS, or the compass, uh, is that uh, there are these three elements that are necessary. So in the next session, uh, you can see under re relational environment, we'll be talking about two different aspects of relational environment. The first one is around the power of personal in invitation. How does a small, reproducible discipleship group that we call microgroups, three to four, differ from programs, uh, the way we usually do it in the church, uh, because we see this as a personal invitation into relationship. And so the power of looking that person's in the eye, having him prayed for them, inviting them, join me on this journey together. And we keep the group small, and you'll hear the reason why. Session three. Uh, goes into the transformative context. What's the relational environment that makes for transformation? We like to call microgroups the hot houses of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is the place where some elements come together in terms of openness and transfer, uh, openness and transparency, uh, yielding ourselves to the Spirit's work around the truth of God's word. And when you do that, it's amazing what happens. Uh, so two elements of relationship, content, biblical content, bring those together. It's powerful, and it's all around the whole issue of each person being committed to multiply this experience with others. So how do you grow multiplying disciple makers? Uh, and then the final session uh, looks at the next two symbols that are there. Intentional leader, who's the driver. Every vehicle needs a driver. And uh, I like to say the most important person in your church is the leader of a group of four, because that's where transformation is taking place. So how do you turn the church upside down in terms of the pyramid to support what's happening at the grassroots level? Uh, so we need the church artain our churches around that way. And then uh, you also need a reproducible process. Uh, and that's where a curriculum comes in handy. handy. So you have content, a tool that's transferable that somebody could use with others. Uh, then that, that brings some good elements together. So this is how we're going to be unpacking it in four sessions. So one does build upon the other. I know you've got a potpourri of things to select from uh, here, but uh, at least I wanted you to understand how, how we have put this uh, together. A couple more just introductory remarks before Ralph uh, gets up to share. Uh, so you will note um, that I just want to kind of sort of stipulate here, uh, as, as, as a lawyer would do in court, Obviously, what we're about in this conference is the mission of the church, right? Uh, go and make disciples of all nations. And it might be stating the obvious, uh, but maybe not. Because uh, if you were to ask most church pastors, what's your mission in your church? Well, of course, it's to make disciples. And then if you were asked the second question, um, how are you doing that? What's your plan? How's that living? How are you living that out? you would probably get a conglomerate of answers like, oh, well, we preach the gospel on Sunday mornings. Uh, well, we have small groups. We, we have classes. We, we do all those things. Um, but really, how laser-focused is it in terms of what you are trying to produce and create? And so you're going to hear uh, a lot about our first value here, our GDI value. Disciple-making is the church's mission, not just one bullet point among many things that a church does. So I even have objections with having a disciple-making pastor on a church staff because it sounds like a department of the church. And so we got that covered with this pastor over here rather than being the mission of the whole, the whole church. And so uh, what we're trying to do is, is help you see that at least there is an element, a way to go about making disciples in the context of these smaller reproducible groups. Uh, where transformation takes place. And you heard that being talked about in our main session, right? Smaller is better and <laughs> getting that, that focus. So um, we zero in on that. And then just a quick uh, assessment. How are we doing at making disciples? Now I like to do these two quick case studies to dramatize the need uh, for disciple making. So the first case study is, um, Suppose you have a, 
somebody who's just come to faith in Christ in your church, and they're excited about their growth, and you're excited about helping them grow. And uh, so say, let's visualize a Sunday morning. We have a patio. It's the center of our church, and people out there mingling after worship. And so say I have Joe or Jane with me by my side, and they've come to faith in Christ. I, I want somebody to come walk alongside this person over the next period of time to help them get grounded in their faith. And so I go up to somebody who I think is fairly, you know, respected in terms of their faith and their, their discipleship. And I say, uh, Joe, Jane, uh, I've got a challenge for you. I'd like to t you to take this person and over the next year, walk with them and so that they can be well-grounded in the faith, but your job isn't done until they can do the same for others. What do you think the response might be for many of the people in your church? That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that seemed to be a uniform response. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. That's that's the whole idea. How are we going to ever have a movement of disciple making if that's the response, right? And usually that's saying, I wouldn't know what to do. Um, you got a plan or you got a tool that I can use, something like that. And then the second case study, uh, and I'll mention this in the, in the context of uh, uh, one of our friends here that from Grace uh, Presbyterian Church in, in Houston. Um, the second case study was, suppose you had an eager new believer that comes into your church for the first time, and they're kind of scoping out what's going on in your church. And they have the awareness that uh, they would like to grow as a disciple, but also they are aware that their responsibility is to help others do the same. And so if they approach you, how many staff members do we have here of the church? We've got a good, pretty high percentage. And so they approach you and they said, uh, Pastor, I'd really like to grow as a disciple of Christ and become more uh, what he looks like and he, uh, Jesus looks like, and but also want to be able to equip to disciple others. What's your plan for that here at this church? I was speaking, and um, what you reminded me of uh, is your uh, your interim pastor at your church, Julia. She comes from a, a church in Sacramento area, and I was teaching this content at a presbytery gathering uh, outside of Sacramento. And it was the very first meeting of this new presbytery, 30 churches that had come together. And before I got up to do my teaching, the executive presbyter got up and said, uh, here's my vision for what will happen in this presbytery. Over the next five years, we will double the number of churches in this presbytery. I didn't have a plan for how to do that. He just said, that's his vision. And uh, so I was sort of up next to start teaching through my content here and was using this particular exercise. And when I got to this question to the 150 elders and pastors that were there, uh, what's your plan for this at your church? You know what the response was? They laughed out loud to me. Like, what do you mean? What's our plan? We, ha we have no plan. And I said, this is where you can be a, you know, a, a guest speaker and don't have to worry about being invited back. Uh, I said, oh, so you have a vision for doubling the number of churches in your presbytery. So you want to double the number of churches that have no idea of how to make disciples, right? <laughs> They haven't asked me back. They did do that. <laughs> I think the check was cut before. <laughs> so uh, I'm just with that. We'll just gonna bring up Ralph. He's gonna take us on a journey, uh, a journey of what happened at Camarillo Community Church with a couple of his staff members that will fill in some of that perspective. And uh, you're gonna have to get near near enough to the microphone here so that you can. And any questions we'll uh, handle, but uh, take it away. Thank you, Greg. Well, I gave you a little bit of my background, background in Campus Crusade for Christ. My dad was a pastor, Southern Baptist pastor, and when he graduated from seminary, they gave him a ring, and on the ring is embossed, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And that ring, when he died, my mom said, okay, kids, what do you want that belonged to dad? It'll help you remember him. I got the ring. You know, I don't remember what the other kids got, but I got the ring, and I still have that ring, uh, and I, I often show it off in, in situations like this because it reminds me of what I was supposed to, what he was supposed to be about as a pastor. That's why they gave it to him. 
I was in the pastorate for 25 years before I figured out how to make disciples. Uh, I just, I thought that preaching would do it. I thought that the programming, the things that I'd been trained to do in seminary, these would be the things that would make disciples. But I never had anybody disciple me. Uh, I'd never seen it. I didn't have any kind of curriculum to do it, and I didn't know how. And so we built a church on an attraction model, just getting people to come in, sit down, and whatever. And we built our first building after I'd been there for just a short time. We were, when I went to the church, there was just a handful of people meeting in somebody else's fellowship hall kind of thing, and we rented a facility, and we grew, and we were too big for their fellowship hall, and they were anxious for us to get out, and we were anxious to get out, so we built our first building, and we went in, and the second Sunday in the new building, we had to go to two services, and the thing continued to grow, and eventually we had to go to four services. I mean, before we built our second building, which was a thousand-seat auditorium, and had lots of all the bells and whistles and stuff, and had room to grow, and uh, we, were, we were filling it with basically new believers. Uh, we were adding staff, we were adding programs, we were doing all the things that a successful church should do, but I often liken the way we, the model we use, the business model we use for building churches like an NFL franchise, you know. Uh, you build a giant, beautiful stadium and everybody likes to come and you get a good show on the field, you know, so everybody can cheer for their team and everybody screams and hollers and cheers or whatever and you get them to pay their money and your success. How do we measure success in a church? Well, we look at our buildings, we've got big pretty buildings, we've got a big crowd coming and we're meeting budget, we must be successful. And probably the greatest deterrent to disciple making in this country is that model of success, I think. Um, it's keeping us from doing what we need to be doing. And you go to a church like mine and say, hey, I've got a model for discipleship that you should be using. I say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, man. I'm, we're doing fine. We're doing yeah. fine. Um, but somehow God did something in my heart and got me to that point of saying, you know, it, we're not doing fine. We need to do better. We did an internal survey. Remember that Willow Creek did theirs and all the other churches in, in, around did their internal surveys. And uh, we found out the same thing everybody else found out. We, they liked our music. They liked our children's program. They liked our youth program. They liked, some of them liked the preaching. <clears throat> but they knew they weren't growing. We weren't doing disciples. They knew it. I knew it. But we didn't know what to do about it. And so I'm coming back from a conference probably on church growth or something and, you know, one of the Willow Creek, I don't know what it was, but I was on an airplane and I'm reading a leadership journal and I'm reading uh, John Ortberg's section on disciple making. And he says, you know, there are a couple of people that are really doing a good job. One of them is named Greg Ogden and, you know, the other one was... That wasn't Bill. It was it was one of the one of the ancients. One of the guys that's a little older. Anyway, uh, any any and I had heard of Greg, but I hadn't read any of his stuff. So when I get off the plane, I Google Greg. Found out transforming discipleships out there. I order the book and start reading the book, and it begins to ring true to me. It, something in there just okay. This might really work. So I got three more copies. I gave a copy to Bev, gave a copy to Jim, gave a copy to my evangelism pastor Daryl, and I said, read this. We'll get back together in a week and we'll talk about it. We did. We got together, talked about it in my office, and decided, okay, we're going to try an experiment. Rick Warren always calls these kinds of things experiments, you know. If it doesn't work, nobody cares. It's an experiment. So we're not going to tell anybody. We're not going to launch a new program. We're just going to do it. I'll get four guys because we're, if, you're not, if you're not familiar, it's gender-specific quads is what we do typically. So I get, I get three guys from my group. Jim gets three. Bev gets gals for her group. Daryl gets guys for his group. We start our quads. Uh, we get together once a week to kind of, you know, share notes and stuff like that, make sure we're all on, on track. But it's not six or, you know, five or six meetings in, and guys in my group are saying, you know, this is a highlight of my week, don't you? I enjoy this more than anything I do. Really. I mean, it's basic stuff, you know, for a pastor. I mean, this is Bible College 101. Is it really that radically new and different? Well, I've been preaching this for 25 years. Why haven't I got it, you know? But, but this is the highlight of the week. They're enjoying this. And the other groups are kind of re are reporting the same kinds of things. They're coming with their verses memorized. They're coming with their homework done. They come excited to share what they've learned from God as they've been doing this homework themselves. Usually on Sunday, I'm the only one excited, you know? <laughs> I'm the only one that's been studying. I'm the only one that's got anything to share. So I'm up there excited, and they're just looking at me kind of dumb. But now they're coming to the group excited because they've met with God. God's spoken to their heart, and they got something to share. Um, and they're teaching each other. 
Because we make it very clear in this that the leader is not the teacher. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. You know, the book is a curriculum uh, and, and God's Word and you let it go from there. And people teach each other. They come in there and they're sharing, they're encouraging each other, they're praying for each other. And in a group of four, where are you going to hide? <laughs> There's no place to hide. Everybody's got to participate, right? You didn't get your homework done? What's the matter with you? Everybody else jumps up because you sign a covenant when you first start saying, I'm going to come with my homework done. I'm going to come and I'm going to give out an hour and a half every week. I'm going to be faithful to this thing. I'm going to let God be, do a work in my life. You know, we've, we've signed a covenant. Um, and they know it. I had one guy came in and said, he come in the parking lot. We're meeting in Denny's restaurant in the mornings, you know. Catches me in the parking lot and say, man, I'm struggling with this homework thing. I'm raising my grandkid. I got a business to run. I just can't. Can I, can I audit this course? <laughs> I got I got weepy. It was so it was so touching, you know. So I go in the restaurant. I say, "Hey, he really wants to audit." The guy said, "No way." Huh. They wouldn't let him. They didn't let him off. I was ready to let him off the hook. The guys in the group were not. They're doing the homework. You're gonna do the homework. He did the homework from then on. <laughs> but the thing just and in a, a year's time it takes about a year to get through the curriculum. Um, and at the end of the year, my group went out and everybody got three more guys. And my group of four turned to 16. And Daryl's group multiplied, and Bev's group multiplied, and Jim's group eventually did. <laughs> he had the slow group. Uh, there's no time limit on these things. It's not, it's not time driven. It's not curriculum driven. It's transformation driven. Mm -hmm. So you wait for the slowest guy in the group mm -hmm. to get it. And you've got time to raise your hand, which you can't do on Sunday morning, and say, I, could you say that? I didn't quite get that. I don't understand that part. You go back and you work it through until they get it and you move on it at the rate people are, are willing to. Uh, Bev, I want you to come up here and just share a little bit because you 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 pick, you are our first ladies group. And gals, you have an advantage. Uh, you're more relational than most of us guys are. And so, but how did your group go? I was very privileged to have uh, been the one that Ralph chose. I volunteered to do his uh, PowerPoints and all that stuff for the executive pastor. He says, okay, Bev, I want you to find out more about this. And so I looked at the back of the Discipleship Essentials book. There was Greg Ogden's phone number. And I thought, you're kidding me. I had called Greg <laughs> right away. and. Uh, he answered the phone, <laughs> which was a surprise to me that an author would answer the phone on something like this. And I found out he was going to be in Burbank, and we were in Camarillo. And he said, sure, I'll come up. So he and Lily came up that time, and it was amazing to see how that had started. And what it did for me once I got started on this, I got the book, and I said, <laughs> Jim, this is dynamite. I walked right into the office there, and I just have been blown away since that. That was uh, in 2010. So it's been 11 years now, and it's been the joy of my life to come back to life as an older person to recognize God isn't done with me. You know, us older people aren't put out to pasture, and it's not like your life is over and, and the church is just for the young people. So that's kind of how everything started. But what I want to um, leave you with is something simple. I'm a former teacher and I love acronyms and I love mnemonics and so I'm going to give you the grits. Now this is from Ralph really, but I like, uh, I've learned to like grits. You grew up with grits. You're a former southerner from Florida. But anyway, um, he's mentioned several of the words already. So you probably know what this is going to be. But it's an easy way to remember what Discipleship Essentials is all about. So it starts with G, which is generational. In other words, what we're talking about is not just being a disciple, but making disciples. So that's the difference between a small group and a micro group. And I remember even going to one of the other gals that I had in one of the quads. And she said, oh, no, I don't, I don't have time for this. I've done all that. I know all that. And I said, it's not about knowing or just doing another study. This is about you handing off your faith and learning how to be uh, generational. So it's generational. It doesn't mean necessarily, you know, parent, child, but that's what we're talking about. If you heard 
Jim Putman very definitely, he is the one that has the circle where you have the baby who is born. Then you have the child that's gung-ho about just being together, fellowship, fellowship, and then the young adult that is really into service. And that's where we found our church was in many, so many service things, so many people oriented towards service. But then you have to go to the next part, which is be a parent. Not an adult, but be a parent. You are actually birthing people who are going to be disciple makers instead of just sharing your faith or going out and witnessing. You are actually helping people to grow up. So that's the G for generational. You've already heard what the R probably is. It is relational. And because it is relational, it's not based on, okay, we've got lesson one, now we've got enough time, and let's go on to the next one, and the next one, and the next one, we're done. Well, what do we do after this? Well, of course, what this is about is that you are going to hand it off, and they're going to do the same thing. Well, my book is about falling apart, but you just do this again and again and again. Every time with a different group, I learn something different. And I see you nodding your head back there. Well, apart, <laughs> okay, yours is too. But it has been the joy of my life. It's brought me back to life in a time when I thought, well, you know, I wonder what God wants to do with my life. Well, there's the R. It is relational, not program driven. It is life transformational, so much so that it becomes a way of life. So it's life transforming and Obviously, I skipped ahead, that's the T. But the I is it's intentional. I mean, I had to drop my agenda. I mean, it, it interrupts your life. Um, the first year was one of the hardest years of my life. All kinds of strange things happen with deaths and problems here, problems there, for whatever reason, because this is the way I ask women to join me on a journey for accelerated spiritual growth. He talked about the hothouse. It can get pretty hot. And, and that's what I found almost with every group of people that I've been with who have really taken this seriously, that you're going to have a little extra pressure of some kind that's going to really cause you to question, you know, is this where God really wants me to be? But uh, that's how we grow is as you know, in James 1, 2, you're going to get pressure so that you can have patience and learn how to be filled with God's Spirit moment by moment by moment. So generational, relational, G-R-I, intentional. I had to take extra time. I had to re reroute my agenda and then go with what God wanted me to do and start another group and meet the needs of the ones who had started with me and then be there beside them when they also had their lives crater with one or two or three problems or cancer or whatever. So the T is transformational. It does change you. It does cause you to become more like Christ. It is transformational more than informational. That's the big difference also. Now, you may not know this, but Greg started this in the 80s. So this has been like almost 40 years now so this has longitudinal research that it works. It definitely works. So over a long period of time, this has been proven to be, here we are 40 years later, very effective. Now it's translated into 23 languages, by the way. G-R-I-T, now let's go to the S, which is the most important part, at least from what I've found for me. You know the Christian life is impossible, right? Only Jesus could live it. So if I surrender totally to Jesus Christ working in and through me, and I recognize from my daily devotions yesterday, Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ. It's not I who live. It's he who lives through me. And that's the essence. And that's the essence, really, of what it's all about. Surrendering to God's will. Thank you, Bev. Bev was my administrative, personal administrative assistant at the time, and we, uh, she was amazing. She is, she's one of those gals that can do just about anything you ask her to do, and she's, she continues to lead these things. I um, uh, retired in 2015, and I got a call on the phone from Nick Vujicic, you know Nick Vujicic, Life Without Limbs. I get a call from Nick because Nick had, was 
right down the street from us, not that far from Southern California. And he started talking to me, and I told him that I was retiring. He said, well, what's going to happen to Bev? <laughs> he hired her. <laughs> and he's, she's worked for him ever since. So. But anyway, we, as the groups began to multiply, uh, we began to see this thing was, this thing is real. It's working. Uh, we began to see it just continue each year, multiplying more. I didn't say anything about this to our congregation until we were probably two and a half years in. I never mentioned it from the platform. It was never in the bulletin. It was all just personally driven by the people who were in it. When they got done, they got ready to, to start a group. They invited their people, and they, it just continued to multiply that way. Um, <clears throat> we have this thing that we say, you know, go, go slow, go deep, um, think big. You know, you, you start slow. You just let it start. You get it going. Um, you let it go deep into the people's hearts, transformational, uh, and watch the results happen. And it, it takes a while. You won't see instant results. Uh, when we talk about having to give things up in order to do this, you don't even notice it. I didn't. I started a group, you know, big deal. Um, the next year we started another group. Then I started a couple of them. I got anxious. So I, you know, I'm the pastor. I, I start two or three groups going at one time. But it was okay. It was still fun, you know, kind of thing. But it wasn't like it, it pushed a lot of things aside. It didn't. And I'm going to have Jim come and share in a minute because he's our small group pastor. And people have a, they're going to ask that question. Well, what happens to your small groups? Well, uh, we, didn't, we didn't have any radical um, departure from programming. And Cheryl is not, is Cheryl in the room? Cheryl's not in the room. Right here. Tell her, come in here. I need her. I need to talk to her. <clears throat> I, I, I'm, Cheryl was our programming director. She did all of our music. She did our production. We were a, an attractional church. You got to do something to get people to come. We did an extravagant, opulent Christmas thing, similar to uh, Schuler at the Crystal Cathedral, you know, where he does these Christmas. Come on in, Cheryl. <clears throat> She put on these extravagant things. I mean, we had angels flying through the air. We had all this kind of, and, and we, would have, we would do a string of these performances and hundreds of people came to them, literally thousands came to them. We had 300 come to Christ one, one year in, in just in that event. She put those things on. But then I go to Cheryl and I've got this great idea for next year. This must be July, you know, because you got to start way in advance on these things. I got this great idea for next year. I said, she, she, it was just you first. Uh, I had Cheryl, and, I, and we were in a Mexican restaurant of some kind, and I sit her down, and I share my dream with her, what we're going to do next, next Christmas. And she doesn't get excited. <laughs> and she looks across at me after a few moments, and she says, I don't think I can do that this year. And I don't think you should either. <laughs> Wait a minute, who signs your check? You know, I mean, <laughs> she was serious. She didn't think, she said, I can't. If we're serious about discipleship, I can't do it because that event was on all skate. Everybody had to be involved. All church, you got to sell tickets. You got to be, you know, an orchestra. You got to, you know, build props. You, you, you got to do. You have to do something to be a part of it, to pull this thing off every year like that. And she said it took all of, you know, October, November, in the preparation. You have to drop your group. You can't. You just don't have time. Everybody has to. And she said, if you look at the results that we're seeing, you know the. How many people come back from the Christmas event every year? Mm -hmm. eh, you know, there are a few. There were some. I got Claudia. Wave, Claudia. Claudia came to Christ in the Christmas event. You know? <laughs> so, so it does work, you know. But she, but she didn't get into discipleship until years later when she had my wife's discipleship group. Um, then Joe came back. She brought Joe with her the next week. And and I know it's for support because, <laughs> but Joe is with her and she and and she, she says we can't do this thing. You shouldn't do this thing. I've got to I got to concentrate on disciple making, and we canceled Christmas. <laughs> we canceled Christmas. Uh, no more of that. Thing. Now we you know we we got back to doing some smaller Christmas things in the in the past. But Cheryl, you just started a group. Um. Yep, got a second generation group going and also have a new group going and also a mentoring, Joe and I'm doing a mentoring thing. 
So you've been doing these. You've been doing these groups regularly since that oh, time. Ever since, yeah. Ever since, never stopped. Keep going. It's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's really awesome. Uh, the friendships, the deep relationships. Uh, it's really exciting to see somebody's life completely turn around to where, well, for example, Shanna. She's the latest one that um, very outspoken. That she uh, came to a gradual understanding of salvation through the discipleship, you know, and I just thought, I'm not going to lead her to Christ with that four-step thing. I'm not going to do it because the Lord can do it. He needs to draw her to himself. I'm going to meet with her every week. We're going to pray. We're going to read, study. And the day she came in after about a year or more and said, she was just totally humbled. She says, I cannot believe that God has saved me from my sin. She says, I just didn't see it before. And now I see it. And I am so humbled that he's accepted me. She's a former Hollywood stunt woman, so she's just really a beautiful girl, very active, very athletic, very energetic. And she has the type that's an influencer, so now she's bringing others, and it's just the most amazing thing to watch. And um, she says she's so grateful, so grateful for the opportunity to have that discipleship experience and have someone take the time to meet with her week after week and help her discover Jesus and know him. And it's, it's been one of the biggest blessings of my life. <laughs> Beats any of those Christmas things. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers, and by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. Those Christmas things were extravagant. They were a lot of fun, but wow. What we get to experience now and seeing real transformation taking place in people's hearts as they become disciple makers, they start doing it themselves. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. Um, one of the things that I, I want to share is the, for those of you who are pastors, is the lightening of the load. Um, as a pastor, I didn't realize how much I was carrying. And, I, and now even more. Yeah, I'll share the statistic from last week. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that in terms of some of the consequences. You, you want to bring Jim in uh, at yeah. some point here? Yeah, okay, I can bring Jim in. <laughs> <laughs> Let me bring Jim in to talk about the small group uh, relationship and what happens there. Jim, Jim was our small group pastor. Uh, he read this stuff with us. We started our groups. Uh, tell him, Jim. Yeah, so I uh, finished uh, a 20-year career in the Navy, went to school, seminary, uh, graduated, and the church that I was in at the time actually hired me. And, uh, and so now I'm a brand-new small group pastor. And uh, for seven years, I did small groups, and I was doing a little mentoring with young men. And... Um, what I noticed over those years is I was not accomplishing what I wanted to accomplish, and that was um, people that were growing enough to be uh, leaders in, in, uh, in the sense of um, starting new small groups or doing re replicating what I was doing with these young men that they would take on. They, it just wasn't happening. Um, I've been yelled at a few times um, over the phone uh, from my congregation and it was all about birthing a new group although they called it splitting a group and uh, they they hated that and um, so what I found with this um, is that uh, you come into it and and people know that at the end of this you're gonna be equipped you're gonna be ready 
um, you're, you're going to have the practice to do this again. And, um, and now I find small group leaders that have come out of completing a quad. Uh, it works well. Uh, small groups, I love small groups. They, they have a purpose in the church, uh, but it's very difficult to, um, to delve into some of those issues where, um, um, particularly for guys, I'll just say for guys, that, uh, it, that you can't really bring up. It's not appropriate to bring up in a small group. But you can when there's a group of four, and you love them, and they love you, and you can speak into their life. So that's what I uh, I love the small group we have a uh, in our church even now uh, as uh, Ralph has uh, retired and is, and we have a new lead pastor. It's been there for almost five years, four and a half years. Uh, we still use this process, uh, and we get people into small groups to foment foment. Um, relationships that then can lead into uh, the quads and and that that happens and, and I'm in my sixth quad um, and I've got guys that I've invited in that have only just sat in the in the pews they haven't haven't really done anything and I'm willing uh, I was able to get them in and they love it um, I heard from one of these leadership magazines I don't remember the article but I do remember the quote uh, most guys in the church do not have enough close friends to carry their casket when they die. And that was true for me, and um, at least back then. It's not true now. They'd be fighting to carry my casket. Uh, they really want you dead. They really want me dead. <laughs> so I, I will say I did take the longest uh, on my quads because we really dove in, and we love to take, take part theological concepts, and, and uh, we just had a great time. And, uh, and so it's, um, it, it's not time-driven. It really is transformational-driven. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. You, you kept using the term small groups. I thought quads were small groups. Many times they come under the heading of small groups in the church that I'm in now. They call the small group pastor is, is responsible for the disciples making quads as well. But when we talk about small groups, we kind of typically are characterizing a group of 8 to 10 to 12 people mixed in gender. And so you can see the, you can see the restrictions of that kind of uh, a venue for the kind of transformation we're looking for. However, uh, whereas a, a gender-specific group of four really puts it in a, a transformational mode. I think we are about ready for uh, questions. I did want to mention to you, I remember the name of the article, Leadership um, journal, and it was Gordon McDonald that mentioned that you had to take the lead, and that's what really got you. So that was a good one too. Yeah, uh, article where I was going to a staff retreat, and I gave the article out to everybody. And then when it came to talk time to talk about disciple making and where it was going to take, it, what priority it would take in our in our church the next year, uh, they said somebody needs to take point on this. And they all looked at me because they just read this article. Gordon McDonald says, if the senior pastor doesn't have time to do discipleship, your congregation won't either. That's right. Uh, stay up here, Ralph. Uh, so let's do some questions now from what you've heard in this, the story. What would you like to follow up with? Uh, after this, we're going to talk some about what are, the, what are the qualities of transformation you saw in the church? as a result of that, what were some of the effects? And then you can get to that sort of how your load was okay. lessened at that point. So, so you get that distinction between small group and micro groups. So yeah. micro groups is a type of small group, but it, it can accomplish something in terms of honesty and openness and transparency that traditional small groups cannot get to and will not is get to. Is there a tension between those people that don't want you both? Well, yeah, that's a whole, that's a whole world of of that, but uh, yes, um, we, we grow them side by side and uh, let them grow organically in that. We, we don't say that you know small groups is a lesser world, but it's an introduction to community. It's an introduction to deeper relationships, hopefully that creates some hunger to go even deeper than that. So that's the, they can exist side by side in churches. So what questions do you have with Ralph or Jim or Beth? Yeah. One of the questions I have, like, as it multiplies and as you started it organic, that's the way our pastor started it too, not talking about it. But inevitably, it ha it's happening for us. People start to go like, well, I haven't been invited in one of those micro groups, and I'm over here serving. I've been doing that for years. And, and, and so there's, there's hostility in the church towards 
a good thing that's happening. I, I don't know if you have some wisdom for Yeah, us. well, it has to be mitigated. There, 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 it certainly can't happen. And I think it, we, we saw it with some, but it was it's pretty minor. But you just have to say, well, your time's coming. Your time, don't. You know, don't sweat it. Your time will come. Your time will come, and just just put them off a little bit. Um, we had one of our guys in the, uh, the administrative pastor in the church I'm in now who said to a guy, um, "You're in minor leagues right now. You'll get to major leagues soon. Don't worry about it. We'll get you. You'll get to the majors." And so the guy was just anxious to get to the majors. He couldn't wait, and finally his time came, and he was he jumped in, but. You know, so yeah, you have to you have to be aware that that might happen because the the, the buzz will start. People will start talking about it because they're having a, they're having a great time. This is good. This is really fun for them, and they'll start talking to people. It's going to happen, but you'll just have to be aware of that and try to work with that and say this is the 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 uh, this kind of thing can only be invitation only. We can't put it out to everybody. We tried more than we should have. We had people start groups because we thought they were mature enough and they ruined them. And we had to come back in and... and, and that re- is my next question. Like, <laughs> as it ripples out, yeah. you people, say, people say, oh, I can do that. You know, give me one of the books. I'll go get three. And they did. And we let them. And then they blow up a group and it doesn't work because they become a teacher. They haven't learned to, to let everybody teach. They haven't learned the basics of how to make these things. Well, I think what Ralph is saying, what we usually counsel is you need to be a participant in a group before you lead a group. Okay, so you have to experience the life of that group and how it's because we, sh- a group of four, for example, you're sharing leadership. So you have an initial person that starts it, modeling some of that leadership, and then you're rotating leadership around. So everybody has multiple opportunities to lead the group during that time. And then once you've had experience of the kind of quality of life in the group, you can replicate that quality of life. Uh, if they haven't had that, then they, as Ralph will say, they'll just go into their own teaching mode. Oh, I want to get a group together so I can tell people what they should believe. Uh, and that's not what this is about. This is about allowing the Holy Spirit to allow each person to discover the truth of God's Word, then share it with each other, and then learn together. Uh, in that in that process, so it's a very egalitarian kind of experience. Question: Have you ever had anybody say no to an invitation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they said no to Jesus, you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you'll have people saying. I had a, had a guy in, in my church where I am now, and I asked him, I, you know, I asked him to be in a group. I've been praying about this. Oh, you, God put you on my heart. Would you be willing to be in a group? He says, right now, I just have a lot of things going. I'm fixing the churches. Uh, plumbing system. I'm doing. He was, and he was an engineer, and he was doing a lot of stuff. And six months later, he comes back and says, "I'm ready now." Yeah. Okay, you know. And so he's he's been in a group. So yeah, they will say no. Some of them, they have good reason. Some of them, it's a season of life. You know, it's just not right for them. Okay. Some of them aren't ready spiritually. We had one gal that got in a group and she dropped out. We didn't. We don't have a lot of dropouts, but she she just after the second week she said, "I don't think this is for me." And okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, I would say. I mean, if I can piggyback on that, you're asking in a discipleship group an exponential level of commitment they have not experienced before. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one is small. That means it's going to be intimate. Secondly, you're required to to do some homework, as Ralph puts it, prior to showing up and owning your own answers to the work that you you have done. Uh, we expect to get together weekly, 90 minutes at, at a time. So is that a little bit more than what's generally asked of people? Shake your head, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, that's, that's going to cause people to, to, say, to say no. I, have, I just finished a group, and one of the guys is starting his next group, and he finally said, I'm going to go with two because I can't find a third. And he's asked 11 people. And so I said, get started. <laughs> you know, you, you've got you've got enough for a core. Get going. So uh, that may say something about the church I'm in. I don't know, but <laughs> now, go along with what you said about somebody who's, who's asked a couple people and been rejected. Outside of, of looking for those characteristics that you mentioned in your book, the you know teachability, loyalty, vulnerability. Is there a process used as an imitate process imitation that we that's that you maybe have learned to be more successful with? Finding somebody or, or inviting them—is there any kind of process that you use that, that's been successful? 
in the back of the book, there's a leader's guide. That if you have the newest edition of the book, there's a leader's guide, and Greg gives a great uh, how-to and making the invitation. How do you go about selecting? Uh, you pray, obviously, you start there. God, who do you want in my group? God puts people on your heart, so you respond to that. And when you go to them, you can tell them that. You know, hey, I've been praying about this, and God has put you on my heart. Uh, I want you to pray about this. Here's the can't, book. Can't underscore that point enough. That's one of the things that distinguishes the microgroup from other kind of programmatic experiences. It's driven by God's Holy Spirit growth in your own heart as you are drawn to somebody else. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll look at that in, in this next session uh, when Jesus in Luke chapter 6 spends all night in prayer and then the next day calls his larger group to himself and then from them chooses 12. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's let Jesus be our model. Yeah. Yeah. Not a sign of cheating in the lobby? No, exactly. <laughs> Not a yeah. sign of cheating in the lobby. That's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a good point to make. And, and, and that's, you know, that's a tempting thing is to, is just to put on an all it call. Yeah. Okay, who wants to be in a group? Raise your hand. You know, kind yeah. of thing. That, it may get you, you, the ones you want might be in that group, but they might not be, and it might be the wrong people in that group. So it's, it's, it's a much safer way to go to God in prayer, go to the people he's talked to you about, and one-on-one -on -one challenge them to be a part of the group. Tell them exactly what it is. I take the book with me. I show it to them. I show them the commitment they're going to make. And then I say, go home and pray about this. Now, I don't want to. I don't want, to, I don't want you to make a decision right now. Uh, pray about it, and we'll talk about it next week. Ralph, why don't, you, why don't you pick up on some of the transformative elements that you saw happen in your church community as a result of, of this. And probably don't have time to go through all of those, okay. but some, what are some of the highlights of what you saw in terms of changing? Disciple-making culture is what we're wanting Yeah, these are the on. things, many of them, things we did not expect. All, all when we walked out of my office and we'd said, okay, we're going to try an experiment. We had no clue some of these things were going to happen. They were what I call serendipities. This is one, one of what we expected. We hoped for transformation. We weren't trying to just get more information. We were hoping for transformation, and it did happen. Multiplication. We were hoping that this would multiply because that's what the book said it was supposed to do. And sure enough, it did multiply. Harmony and unity in the church. Now, I didn't expect this to be as important as it came to be. But after we were in year two and three, and a major portion of our leadership were in these groups, all of a sudden, everybody is talking disciple making. You know, suddenly other things aren't quite as important. Even when we go into budget meetings, Suddenly people are evaluating, okay, does this help us make disciples or not? I mean, there were a lot of clarity that came. So we saw a, a level of harmony and unity in the church I had not seen before. Evangelism. Who's, this, I had a young pastor say, well, what happens to your evangelism? All this emphasis on discipleship. Who are going to be your best evangelists? The guy that's sitting in the pew doing nothing or the guy whose life is changing every week because he's in one of these groups? They were the best evangelists. They were the ones bringing people to church. They were the ones talking to their friends at work about what's happening in their lives. Uh, generosity. <laughs> we did our first discipleship summit when one of our missionaries came home uh, from Romania and wanted to thank us for being involved in her ministry. And we said, great, we're glad to be. And then one of the guys in my group pops up and says, hey, you need to do this over there. Do what? This discipleship stuff, you need to do that in Romania. Really? She sits down, and before she gets up, we've come up with a three-part strategy. We're going to get this stuff translated into Romania, and we're going to get pastors from Romania that she's already been working with to come back to the United States. We'll pay their way. Don't tell them that in advance because they'll come for Disneyland, but we're going to pay their way to come, and we will bring Greg down. We'll teach him how to do this stuff in Romania. Uh, she calls Ivy Press the next, next day and finds out this has already been translated into Romanian. God's already one step ahead of us. He knew exactly what we were going to be doing. And a, a group of Bible smugglers in Romania had found this book in, online and translated it. Nobody was using it that, to, to any great extent. Uh, it was just sitting there waiting for us. And so we went to, on to step two. She immediately took some of the books, shared them with pastors there, again, just to see what interest would be. Those who came back and said, yeah, I want to learn how to use this. She said, there's a crazy church in Southern California to pay your ticket to go to learn how to use it. And so we brought 11 pastors from Romania to the United States and two from Sweden or Friesland or somewhere that somebody had, somebody else wanted to get involved. And so we brought these, you know, 13 pastors together. We trained them in how to do it, sent them back to Romania to do it in their churches. Within a year, not much after a year or so, we got a call from Romania 
saying, hey, you've got to come to Romania. We've got other pastors who want to have to use this. We can use our church as a place to do it. Um, come and train, teach more people how to do it. So we did that. Now we have a national director. We have, uh, we have groups all over churches all over the country that are doing uh, discipleship essentials. We have a wonderful work over there who that God is doing. And who paid for it? Generosity. We went to our congregation. I remember the Sunday morning I got up and I was scared to death because I was going to have to tell them we'd step out on a limb. We were going to pay $48,000, I think, was the estimate for that, for the plane tickets and everything for that first summit. And I was going to have to tell them we did, this is not budgeted. And I said, we'd do it. You know? <laughs> Within two weeks, we had the money. Within two weeks, they had committed the money, the funds for that. And then we did a, after we came back from Romania, we did a global summit. And we sent out 85 invitations to pastors in all over the, all over the world that we knew, that our congregation knew, and asked them to come learn how to do this. And 53, I think, came. We were able to get visas for 53 and brought them. And I, I went to them and said, it's going to cost $85,000 for this one. And again, two weeks later, they'd committed all the money. And when it got to $85,000, they didn't stop giving. They kept giving. They give $112,000, and we spent every dime <laughs> because it cost us that much to bring those pastors in from all over the place. And, we, and they, they slept in our beds. They ate our, ate our food, and, and we taught them how to do discipleship. And um, it was about two weeks later that our administrative pastor came and said, you know, I think we could pay off our building. <laughs> Everybody's so generous, right? And we paid off our building that year. Wow. We paid off our entire you know, facility that year because it, generosity. You know, and these were people who were, they knew what it was doing. It happened in their lives. They knew how valuable this was. Uh, joy and obedience. Yeah, we just amazing. Global vision. All of a sudden, you know, Jesus said, go into all the world to make disciples. So his guys, how many of them went past Jerusalem, you know? <laughs> yeah, they didn't go into all the world. You know, Paul got to a few parts, but most of these guys didn't. Jesus was looking down the corridors of time, and he was seeing well, us going into all the world. And now our people were going, I, you know, every week I'm going in, I'm zooming all over the world. Um, authentic growth, yeah, leadership development. All of a sudden, people who didn't do anything are now stepping up to lead. And not only that, they're volunteering for other stuff. Volunteerism went up. Um, time and money allocation, just, you know, with the, now we've got the vision in mind, we know what we're here to do. Um, that was a slam so, Ralph, um One of the number one things I hear when we teach about this, pastors saying, I'm too busy, I can't add one more thing to my life. Uh, which usually means I've got this long list of things to do and I'm going to put making disciples at the bottom of the list, right? Uh, so I just can't do that. But somehow you figured out how to not only do one group but two groups and then you Three. found your your load being even lifted some as the discipleship movement spread throughout the church speak speak to yeah, that. i got a call from them i got a call that my chairman of our board of elders had a heart event he was in the emergency room so i'm i'm quickly i'm jumping in the car and going down to st john's hospital and to visit my board chairman of my board of elders and i get there and the nurse says i'm sorry you can't go in I said, but I'm his pastor. I'm supposed to be able to go and pray with him. He said, no, he's, he, he listed four guys that could come to his, in his room, his squad. His senior pastor couldn't come, but his squad could come in and see him. I walk away a little bit disappointed, but excited that the people of God are now doing the ministry of God. They're doing the work. That's what's supposed to happen. They begin to take on this responsibility for each other. They love it. They go on vacations together. They, you know. Uh, the relationships are built there, and my, the load on my, just the unrecognized load on my shoulders began to lighten. I began to realize that what happened on Sunday morning wasn't near as important as I thought it was. You know, I read, what's her name's book in Beach, Beach. Nancy Beach, Nancy <laughs> Beach's book, you know, that Sunday morning, uh, that one hour is the most important morning. It wasn't anymore. It was I, I remember standing in front of the congregation and saying to the whole church, if you have a choice to go to your quad, or come hear me preach, go to your quad. They're going to learn more of their quad, you know, with the, the time they spend there, the interaction, they, you know, they're going to learn far more there than they'd ever learned from 30 minutes of me just talking to them. Um, what happened on Sunday morning wasn't near as important. The load began to lighten. I knew what was happening out there in the congregation every week through these quads. Uh, people's lives are being transformed. That's what it's all about. That's great. Okay. Maybe one more question, and there are comments. Do I have a question? Yeah. So you have the, the 
eight lesson book and the 25 lesson book. Yeah. How do you, I mean, do you suggest starting with the eight and then doing the 25? Dan, could you hold up the, the essential guide and the discipleship essentials book? Um, what uh, Harding is uh, describing. So those two books that uh, there, so the, the little book, as I call it, The Essential Guide to Becoming a Disciple, is meant to be an on-ramp to the discipleship process. So it's, for those who would find the larger discipleship book a bit daunting, oh, wow, that's a thick book that you can take us through. Uh, this, the littler book is a, eight lessons on the Great Commission, and it's meant to answer the question, uh, if I'm to be a follower of Jesus, what is expected of me? And it leads to kind of like, okay, I'm all in kind of, kind of question. So it's, it's to help tease people in a in sense into the small group experience, the micro group experience. And then obviously once that glue has been cemented, uh, I don't want to break up with this group. I want to go on. Right. And so that's the, that's the idea. So it's, it's one leads to the other into the larger, the larger process. So, I mean, because we've kind of been doing the eighth and, and the 20, it's almost like a like 33 week uh, or 33 lessons. lessons yeah. Because it's always more than. Right. But those, I mean, those eight chapters you did in that little book are so good. I know. And that baptism one, I love, I almost weep every time I read it. So thank <laughs> okay. you. You're welcome. Thank you for being a good shill. Uh, appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so as we as we wrap up this session, I uh, wanted just to remind you that uh, our sessions build one to another. So next session we go into uh, the relational context, particularly you know Jesus' approach to making disciples, and the contrast between a relational approach and a programmatic approach, uh, which we will all already experience with. Um, if any of you would like to let us know about yourself, please fill out this information card, uh, and I will put a little bit more information about GDI on the screen here. And we have books back here, if you, any of you would like to peruse uh, those books, um, the same ones that are here, they're out on our, our table out, outside there. So, but obviously, if, we'd love to have you join us on this journey through this, this material, but we know that you have lots of options of which to, to choose from. Uh, as well. So, um, before you before you scoot, we have people that are doing this kind of stuff. Uh, Chris over here, Chris oh. Mueller, pastor from Southern, Dan, come on up here. from Central Florida. Uh, Dan Dominguez on our staff there. Uh, we have. If you want to talk to some of these folks, please please feel free to do that. Uh, Dave Samuel. Where's Chris? Excuse me. Who's Chris? Chris is here. Dave Shanuel over there. Um, these guys are doing it in their churches, and you can ask them questions about it as well. So it's and Lily is at the back. You had introduced Lily. Lily's at the back now. That's you can introduce wife. your wife. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't in the room when I yeah. when I. And she's doing. She leads so a women's discipleship group at our church, and uh, it's great. Dan is our. I forgot your official title, but he's kind of our director of our cohort training. There you go. Is that close that. enough? That's close <laughs> enough. And why don't you tell them a little bit about what that's all about? Okay, so we do offer a cohort experience. It's uh, noted here. It's ideally suited to the senior leader, and we're we're learning that as we go along. We're we're involved in 51 different countries as GDI. We have now five national directors. Yes, yes we do. Five national directors very involved in, in uh, multiplication, replication. And so we've, we've uh, Dave, Dave, raise your hand again. Dave is a graduate, very recent graduate of cohort two, and he's about to become our first regional director. Eight churches, three states, all using the GDI approach. So ideally, this, this program, the cohort experience, is, is suited for the pastor, the senior pastor. We're learning that. Senior pastor, very critical, who's already engaging in the microgroup experience. So they're in it, and ideally, ideally, you're, you're now starting to replicate. You're, you're in a prime position to uh, be a part of the cohort journey. 16 sessions, there's an introduction, 16 content sections, takes us about two years, small group as well, maximum four participants, could be international, uh, uh, in, a, in a lot of depth. We go into great depth, Jesus' approach to disciple making, Paul's parental approach to disciple making, the authority of Jesus, how do you assess 
your churches, a couple of instruments, tools to do that. So a deep dive into just the mechanics. As the title says, turning your church into the disciple making yeah, mission. Deep dive so into Transformation that. of the culture over, you start that process at least over a two year period, but uh, we realize it, it takes a while to see, to see so that. Questions about that, please. I'll be in the back and see me wandering around. Dan has uh, some folders that he could give you if you're yeah, interested. If you're really in interested, at, I got some at, the, at that kind of training. So. All right, well, thank you so much. I think we're at, at our time now. Um, we guess we have some transition between uh, workshops for just about 15 minutes, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate that. And I want to encourage you to make sure you go to discipleship.org and check out the schedule and ticket price and all that stuff for this coming National Disciple Making Forum. It's going to be a fantastic time. So make sure you check that out. All right. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. I'll catch you on the next episode.